0: Welcome to Accelerating Government with act on Federal News Network. Now your host,
1: Dave Winogren.
0: Welcome to the show that brings together government and industry leaders to accelerate government mission outcomes. On today's episode, our guest is Richard Spires, Principal at Richard A. Spires Consulting, former CIO at both DHS and IRS, former Vice Chair of the Federal CIO Council, and former Chair of the Industry Advisory Council. Richard is the author of Success in the Technology Field, A Guide for Advancing Your Career. His most recent book is Government Can Deliver, A Practitioner's Guide to Improving Agency Effectiveness and Efficiency. Richard, welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me back, Don.
0: It is great to have you back on the show. You've been a guest a few times, but at the moment, I'm remembering back to an episode that we ran in 2021, where you talked with us about your book, Success in the Technology Field, A Guide for Advancing Your Career. As you reflect back, tell us a little bit about that experience and then what led you to embark upon the new book that we'll be discussing today.
1: Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, So, yeah, my original book was really meant to be like just an article talking about the things I have seen over my career and, and, and also observing careers of many other successful people that have worked in the technology field. But there was so much material that I ended up creating this book. It's it's a kind of a breezy read, right? It's not a very long book, kind of punchy, hopefully a lot of wisdom in it. I'd like to think so. What really happened that led to this second book, and, and this is really the one I'm I'm very proud. I'm proud of both, but I'm very proud of what I just published with Government Can Deliver, is that I, I just kept seeing, having worked in and out of government for the last, uh, what, three decades or so, I just kept seeing that the technology keeps improving, but the management processes and the way that government gets things done just doesn't seem to improve. And so I know that's a negative comment, but, you know, all these things that I learned both serving government as a contractor and then stepping in twice, as you mentioned, to serve in government in in executive roles taught me a lot. And then, a lot of uh, discussions with others, individuals like yourself, for instance, that had served a long time in DOD, as an example. And then studying, uh, doing independent study research about programs in government that have done very well and then programs, frankly, that have failed. And w- what can you distill from that? And and that's really what led me to start thinking, man, i got to capture this somehow. And again, it's it's a fairly complex interaction of things that cause these issues that make it difficult for government agencies to perform well. And so I wanted to really reflect and come up with a guide, kind of a handbook even, on how you address um, issues in agencies and how do you improve uh, agency performance.
0: The new book has a great, and I'll say declarative title, Government Can Deliver. And it starts with an explanation of uh, four major performance problem categories that you use to organize the book. They're all important. And I'd like to spend a little bit of time on each one. The first one that you mentioned is leadership and the three tenets of tenure, expertise, and experience. Let's mm-hmm. talk some of, about some of the problems that you've observed in those areas.
1: Yes. And here is where it, it gets hard. And obviously, my experiences are at a federal government level. But I would, would like to point out that uh, based on my working with state governments when I was at DHS, for instance, and you see a lot of the similar kinds of issues. But but let's get into that uh, on the leadership side. It is so important. Um, in the federal government level, I had an interesting experience because I worked at, at an agency, the IRS, where it was it was pretty much run by career executives. There are only two political appointees in the IRS, uh, the Commissioner of the IRS and the chief counsel. But then I also had experience working at DHS. And at least when I was there, there were 286 political appointees. I was actually one of them. But it was really stark, Dave, the the difference that you saw because of this uh, dynamic. And it's not that I have anything against political appointees. It's just that often what you find is that individuals are asked to come into government and they're just not suited for the role that they're asked to play. Uh, this is particularly a problem when you have individuals, and I saw this a lot at DHS, frankly, individuals that might have a strong policy background. They they, they may be brilliant people, very capable, but then you're asking them sometimes to lead large government organizations with lots of employees. And that's a whole different skill set that you just can't, I mean, it takes years and years, decades even, for those that grow up becoming uh, operations executives uh, to really know how to handle those kinds of large organizations effectively and get the most out of them. And I saw a lot of that kind of mismatch uh, in government. And so that's a real problem in leadership. And then, of course, you couple with that with the fact that the continuity, there's there's very little continuity in government leadership, right? I mean, you have administration changes a lot, and a, a lot of times these these senior leaders are only there for you know two years. You know, I did some studying and um, the average tenure of a major CEO in a corporation is 7.2 years. And and typically that individual is not brought in from the outside. You know, sometimes they are, but typically they're grown from within, so to speak, within the company. So there's a continuity issue here in government also that really makes it much more difficult. You combine these factors, the turnover, uh, the, the lack of being able to get the right executives in the right slots, um, it leads to a, a lot of, in my view, a lot of dysfunction in government.
0: Um, I'd like to pull the thread on that one a little bit more before we go on to the other two category, the three categories. You, you talk about the point that political leaders need to drive operational excellence. And in explaining that point, you make the distinction between strategy setting And delivering results. And I just thought that's super important. And I wonder if you could say a few more words about that idea. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It's a really good point. And I dwell on this in the book. I mean, I I talk about the fact that, you know, most agencies actually do have, you know, nice glossy brochures that uh, have great strategy. Um, They lay them out. Next five years, we're going to accomplish all these great things, do all these things wonderful for the U.S. citizen. But then the reality of actually delivering on that uh, becomes a bit of an issue. And A number of chapters of the book around planning and strategy I get into where I talk about the need to be able to have a real line of sight that if you've got high-level goals and objectives in your strategic plan for an agency, how do you then transform that into actionable changes you're doing within the agency? Or how do you turn that into actionable requirements for programs to carry out that in the end will actually meet those uh, lofty goals and objectives. It sounds simple to say it, but it's actually relatively complex to implement it. Complex may be the wrong term, but it, it takes real diligence and it takes real attention to detail to make that happen. And so I think what I have seen in many agencies is there's a real disconnect, Dave, between those lofty goals espoused by a head of an agency they just don't trickle down to actionable change that's prioritized because you can't do everything, right? I mean, a big part of this is making the right decisions on what to do so you can drive the agency forward.
0: Yeah. The uh, second problem category is planning and resource alignment. What are some thoughts on the challenges there that you'd like to share in the beginning?
1: Even if you can do the planning well, let's say you actually get the, that you do drive down the organization and you allocate requirements appropriately at a what, what I call a portfolio level and then at a program level, because most government agencies are very large institutions, actually. I mean, even mid-sized federal government agencies are larger than most uh, corporations. Um, so you, you need to be able to effectively delegate those requirements down the line uh, at a portfolio and then at a program level. But, but there's even more to it. So a lot of times you, you've got to then align your budgets, right? I mean, if you've done all this great planning work, how do get things get done in government? Well, things get done because they get budgeted for. Um, I mean, that doesn't guarantee success, but it certainly is a prerequisite to actually get things done, that you want to get things done. And so this whole budgeting uh, process needs to closely align. And I describe in the book, a governance framework that will help you drive that alignment through the organization so that when you actually and look and I get the fact that ultimately you can't completely control the budgets you receive. I mean, in the federal government, obviously, you got OMB you're dealing with. You got the Hill. There's the appropriations process. So you may not get everything you want. But if you submit a budget, they may like they may have cut it some and the like. But if you've got real priorities that are important to you as a head of an agency, you can get those funded, at least somewhat funded to work on. But then do you actually have in place the execution capability, particularly in the program level, to actually carry out those changes uh, to make the agency run more effectively. So
0: many great points in there about, you know, just because you get the money, can you actually spend it effectively? And the sort of status quo, you know, what's in the budget stays in the budget. It may get tortured to the margins, but the, it's often the new idea that gets tortured a lot more because it's something that's got a net add to the budget. And, uh, yes. yeah. And So the challenges on both sides of that, we're going to take a short break now. And when we return, we'll continue our conversation with Richard Spires, longtime government and industry technology leader and author of the new book, Government Can Deliver, A Practitioner's Guide to Improving Agency Effectiveness and Efficiency. I'm Dave Wendergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACTIAC iac on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Accelerating Government with ACT-IAC. I'm Dave Wendergren, and on today's show, our guest is Richard Spires, principal at Richard A. Spires Consulting, and longtime government and industry technology executive. We're discussing his new book, Government Can Deliver: Practitioner's Guide to Improving Agency Effectiveness and Efficiency. When we went to the break, we were talking about the four challenge areas that you start off the book with and then sort of organize around. Uh, I'd like to pick up with the third one. The third problem category is program and operational management and oversight. Tell us a little bit about the challenges government agencies face there.
1: Yeah, and what I've seen there, Dave is and it's so striking to me how many agencies struggle with this. Look, you you will find as good as program managers in government as you will find anywhere. Okay? It's not that you can't develop good program managers and 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 related staffs to fill out a PMO to really drive a program effectively. But the problem and I have seen over and over is you just don't have enough of the talent. And maybe DHS is a bit of an outlier because of the way it was formed. You know, obviously put together quickly in the wake of of 9-11 and all. And I was there from 2009 to 2013. So it had been in existence six years. But I just saw the amount of programs that they were trying to run versus the talent was a wide discrepancy. I actually did program reviews of all the major IT programs. At the time, there were 92 of them in existence. It's a lot. And, you know, and I saw some that were just excellent. I mean, very, very well run programs. And then I saw just others that were frankly debacles and everything in between. And so th- this is a real issue for government agencies. And, and the, the natural inclination is just to try to outsource, you know, use contractor talent um, to take over more and more of these responsibilities when you don't have the talent internally. Sounds like a good idea, But my experience is that except in situations where it's a very standalone kind of program that doesn't require interfaces with other systems or or you don't have to deal with a lot of employees within the agency itself in developing the program. A lot of times, if if it requires that, um, it's a very difficult thing to make successful if you don't have the government leadership talent over the program. Uh, I've just seen it over and over. I talk about examples be- even beyond what I was involved with, like the uh, the Coast Guard uh, Deepwater Program is a good example of this, right, where they tried to outsource uh, the complete development of new cutters and boats, and it just w- it just did not work. Um, and, and so that's an example that's not really dire- directly IT, but you see it a lot in IT systems as well. So that, that's the fundamental problem that I've seen, is that not that you can't have really good people? We, we just don't have enough to handle the workload. Yeah,
0: and and the distinction about what are the jobs that government people need to do, and sometimes we force the government staff to, to be involved in either the innovation work that might be better done by the private sector or the routinized tasks that could be performed by technology. But either way, we don't take the limited set of cadre of government leaders and let them be the government decision makers that we need them to be. So I think that's a great point that you made. And then and I'll also foot stomp around the, the oversight agenda because, you know, I, I watched in my experience at the Department of Defense the, the, the rigor of oversight which which you know is important because otherwise big projects can fail in big ways with big dollar implications but at the same time you know I, I we used to use a phrase about stepping on someone's air hose if they were a diver you know that if you if you if you keep tamping them down by oversight requirements and and then wonder mm-hmm. why they're not delivering it maybe because they're spending all their time trying to comply with the oversight requirements and i know you make this point over and over again uh, in the book I, I, about it yeah an outcome focus instead
1: yeah, I mean, the bureaucracy can kill a program, right? It can really, really slow it down. And so you, you want to strike that right balance, as you were kind of alluding to, right? You need it, but you need it in the right manner. And you and I, I talk about in the book, always looking, particularly on the governance model, uh, you know, assessing it every year to make sure that the oversight is appropriate. It's not slowing programs down. It's actually helping programs. It's not doing those things. You need to really revamp it. Yeah,
0: well said, well said. The final problem category is a uh, resiliency and security. Topics mm-hmm. that I'll say are crucially important in the uncertain world that we face whether it be pandemics or potential government shutdowns. Give our audience a few insights on the challenges associated with resiliency and security.
1: Yeah, sure. And you know, and it's, this isn't just, I mean, you and I like to talk about cybersecurity a lot because of our backgrounds, but this is really a broader topic, right? It's it's resiliency in the face of all kinds of threats uh, both physical threats as well as of course today a lot of cyber threats and um you yeah, know I, I mean on the positive side here and i and i do talk about some agencies like fema whose kind of job it is to deal with these you know deal with this constantly there are certainly government agencies that do quite well in this but but generally what i have found and i and i think it's fair even today is there's a big tension right you think about this um in, in some ways, if you're investing in resiliency, you're kind of investing in an insurance policy, and and there's a need to do that. But the the question becomes, how much should you be doing of that versus quote new functionality to keep it simple? That you know your mission owners want to drive. They want to they want to deliver more, whatever it is the agency delivers. They want to do better um, versus having to put more money into uh, the resiliency side of the equation and. And many, um, yeah, and we see it over and over. Many agencies make the wrong decision here. Or they don't draw the the right line as to where more should be going to resiliency. Uh, more has to go to resiliency until you have a very bad thing happen. And getting that governance again, I keep coming to that term governance. Getting the right people to really understand, and assess enterprise risk to an agency, assess what they should be doing, what's the appropriate amount of investment. Um, is a really, really key thing for agencies to do. And again, I just don't see agencies mature, many agencies mature in this particular area.
0: Yeah, resiliency, I just think is such a crucial topic today. You know, the the whole issue about being able to be agile and and then I'll say the willingness to question the continued relevancy of current processes, some current jobs, even some current organizations. I think, you know, the pandemic showed that if we're not going to do it the way we used to do it, are you able to contribute to the new future or have you become obviated? And That's tough, that's yep. internal looking, but it's just crucially important. Yeah, you know,
1: one thing I talk about in the book and the operations side is this this idea of having, and I call it an operations improvement team. You can call it whatever you want, but the idea of having some specialists kind of independent, you know, that have kind of Lean Six Sigma backgrounds and really looking at at the operations of an agency, you know, what are they doing day in and day out. How are they doing it? How can we do it better? Um, both in the near term, some quick wins, but then also getting some digital transformation specialists to come in and say, hey, given today's technology, let's reimagine what this could be um, and, and see if we can't do some things that could be staggeringly good. You know, I, and I say at the end of the book, magic can happen in government. Magic does happen in government. There, there are amazing things that have been done in government but you need to have a focused effort and real leadership uh, and the right people engaged to make it happen. Um, And by the way, and a lot of people take exception to this, um, I'm not saying you don't need more money at times, but a lot of times if you do this right, you can find, you, you can drive operational improvements that will free up funds to be able to do things like real digital transformation. So I don't necessarily buy the argument that, oh, I'm just starved so much, I can't make improvements. I, I think there's a lot that can be done in many of these agencies without having to have more money. I,
0: I really appreciate your saying that, because I mean I do think like sometimes, you know, there's a time issue with money where you need to like accumulate some savings in order to, you know, or find the savings before you can repurpose them. And that's why, you know, funds like Technology Modernization Fund are like a great ways to plant a little seeds. But mm-hmm. but if you're gonna rely upon waiting for somebody else to help fund your problem, probably not going to happen. And you're right, Right. in large, complex organizations, there are lots of ways to make some near-term gains that could help benefit Mm -hmm. you and and push the ball forward.
1: Absolutely, right.
0: Very good. Well, we're going to take a short break, and when we return, we're going to continue our conversation with Richard Spires. Richard Spires' new book is called Government Can Deliver, A Practitioner's Guide to Improving Agency Effectiveness and Efficiency. Richard's a longtime leader in government, as a former CIO, a longtime leader in industry, as a former CEO. This is his second book. They're both fabulous, and I encourage you to pick up a copy. We'll be back in just a minute or two. You're listening to Accelerating Government. I'm Dave Wendergren, and it's brought to you by AgDiac on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Accelerating Government with act i am Dave Wennergren and our guest today is Richard Spires, Principal at Richard A. Spires Consulting, former CIO at both DHS and IRS, former Vice Chair of the Federal CIO Council, former Chair of the Industry Advisory Council, a job really near and dear to my current heart, and a longtime industry executive. Richard is the author of Success in the Technology Field, A Guide for Advancing Your Career. And today we're discussing his newest book, Government Can Deliver, A Practitioner's Guide to Improving Agency, Efficiency, and Effectiveness. There's so much content in the book that we'll only have a chance to discuss a few of the areas in our time together today, but I would like to touch on some of the key themes in the book. I think it'll provide some inspiration to our listeners and also the future readers of the book. Um, Let's start with your thoughts on hiring and retaining the workforce of the future.
1: Yeah, and and, uh, just a little bit more context so we talked about the four problems, and then I, in, in eight chapters, I talk about eight solutions, eight, eight areas that an agency needs to address. And the very first one is the employees, right, is the people uh, being the most important. And I talk a bit about um, this this whole issue of hiring. And I, I, I like to relate a story, Dave, that that, that really struck me at the IRS, Um near the end of my tenure at the IRS I was actually the deputy commissioner for operations support and I um I got to know the uh, the chief counsel and did some work in coordination with him in his office and you know and, and he told me once he goes you know we we recruit it's an interesting way we recruit if if you want to be a a tax attorney in this country there's a couple of different ways you do it but one of the primary ways you do it is you come out from a very good law school and you come work for the IRS And you actually practice for the IRS like four or five years. And then most of them move on. They, you know, they move on to private practice and the major law firms and the like and support their tax work. But, you know, I said, well, you can get the best and the brightest that want to be tax attorneys. And he said, absolutely. I said, well, you know, it got me thinking We, we should do that more in government. Right. I mean, there are so many jobs in government and even in our field of technology where if you start out early in your career and come into government, if you're willing to work hard and you're, and you're bright and capable, um, you, you can, the amount of, uh, experience you can get, um, responsibility early in your career is extraordinary. I have found, and, and I just don't think government markets itself nearly as well to try to recruit this kind of talent. And I, I'd like to see us, you know, a marketing campaign really, you know, because right now it's getting worse and worse. I mean, we, we're struggling more and more to get younger talent. The statistics are not good. We need to reverse that. It's critically important to our country. And I'd like to see us really tout the, the mission and orientation of this and the experience that you can get early in your career. You're not going to hold everybody in government. That shouldn't be your goal. Um, but boy, if you could bring in more great young people in the government, and even if you can only keep 10 to 20 percent of them for a career. I I think that's a that would be wonderful for our government. Yeah, I agree. There's so many things that you touch on there. I love the example
0: of IRS as a training ground. You know, I've been said, like in the Department of Defense, the military serves as a training ground. People come in, Mm -hmm. develop skills and then they move on. And and that's like acceptable. Not everyone ends up, you know, making their career, their whole career in the military. We need some people to do that, but we also need some people to spend some time there make their contribution, and then take the skills they've learned and moved on. I think we often lose the sight of that sort of fungibility that you could, it's easier to get into government and then leave and then come back. And and those experiences help build. And so I I appreciate you bringing that up. And I also appreciate starting with people because after all, leadership is all about people, isn't it? Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, it is the strategic planning
0: was the next topic or one of the next mm-hmm. topics in the book. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we've touched on it a little bit, but, but I, I think like, in your experience, like what makes for an effective strategic plan? Cause I'm sure you have stories to tell about having seen strategic planning efforts that have gone really well and <laughs> strategic planning <laughs> efforts that maybe have it.
1: Well, let me, here's a good place where, where I should introduce an, another concept. I mentioned it earlier, but let's dive into a little bit. This, this idea of, Government agencies mainly are so complex, many of them, um, that you really need to effectively, if you will, break the problem apart to keep it simple, and then delegate appropriately. And how do you do that in government? And I'm a big believer in in the ideas around portfolio management and governance. Um, and you know, give me a specific example. Was which is painful when I came into DHS. I'm the CIO of all of DHS. So ultimately responsible for all of the IT across all these 22 components, including like TSA and FEMA and CBP. And, you know, very, very broad, right, Um, range of things that DHS does and spends an awful lot of money on IT. And yet, when I looked at the governance model, we had this uh, investment review board and I was on this investment review board. That we we're having to handle 120 major programs. That's just craziness. So, and why do I bring this up related to strategic planning? Because what I have found works well is when you delegate down. So, if you get all the right people together, let's pick a, a particular portfolio. Um, well, cybersecurity is a good one, right? CISA is really focused uh, for the for the heartland here, uh, our homeland around cybersecurity, that is one of the portfolios within DHS. You know, if, if they're the ones that are driving what needs to be done in cybersecurity strategically for the nation, and then that bubbles up through the organization. So when you get to the DHS level, I mean, obviously, DHS handles a lot more than just cybersecurity for the for the country, uh, but they, they have to make trade-offs, right? Ultimately, the secretary and, and the very senior staff, you know, the, you know, how much are we investing in cybersecurity versus how much should we be investing in, uh, you know, maritime awareness through the Coast Guard, working with the Navy, or how much should we be investing in domain awareness? You know, there's, there's different functions within or portfolios within DHS. And so having the right uh, executives for each of those portfolios develop their own plans and then adjudicate those priorities at the most senior level so you can come up with a both a, a well-thought-out, prioritized strategic plan for the agency, but then drive that back down, right, through those portfolios for real execution, that is what I have found works the best.
0: I, I really appreciate your saying that. You know, one, one of my most positive strategic planning experiences in the Department of Defense was the department's first strategic management plan, which, which followed those constructs that you bring forward in your book about the, the functional leaders of the organization have to be responsible for setting the course. And so they, they can't just be told what to do. They have to have that skin in the game. But then you have to have execution agents that you can compare and contrast with so that one view doesn't like make it hard for the implementers to get the job done and et cetera. You know? And so so good strategic plan that engages the leaders is crucially important. And uh and having the main thing that you're gonna focus everybody's time and attention on where some of some of the things that matter most to me. I won't regale the audience with tales of bad strategic planning efforts, but we've all seen them happen. And the and the least <laughs> painful thing is they become, as they say, shelfware that just kind Absolutely. of gathers dust, right? But I, I had a boss once whose idea of strategic planning was to send everybody off in a room to go bring ideas back to him. And then he would tell you what he didn't like about him, which is not necessarily the right way to engage right. leaders as you described. And so I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I lift up this chapter amongst many good chapters in the book. Um, another area that that I'd like to start on, and this one probably is big enough that we'll carry you through into the next segment, but you talk about the needs for improvements in procurement and acquisition. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that that's a topic near and dear to the heart of our audience and, and uh, maybe like offer some advice there.
1: Yeah. Um, so, you know, in the book, I talk about the fact that government agencies are really good about buying commodity stuff. I mean, there's, you know, they they have all these rules and regulations about getting competitive bids and they know how to buy it and they do well. It's when you've got complex buys. And, and you know, I don't I, I try not to use the word acquisition in the book. And I talk about that in the book only because there's so many different definitions of acquisition. But, but I, what I do talk about is procurement and procurement of, of more complex things combined with good program or program management, right? So these complex buys are almost typically where you have a program in place and they're trying to buy something complex, a new system, a new weapon system, whatever it may be. And what are some of the issues that we run into there? Um, I, I, again, some of this comes back to something, I, a theme I brought up earlier. A lot of times we just don't have all the talent we need uh, internally to properly um, even be able to run good procurements at times but then the oversight properly oversight contractors um you know and it's it's and there's all kinds of additional complexities in, in government that you run into where you know I, I just even discussed this that you know when I was in the private sector and we were doing buys you know if we had a real a real uh, performance issue we just fire a contractor and go get a new one and it wouldn't take very long you know, it doesn't work that way many times in government, right? So you've, you've got – I get that it's harder in government, but that does not mean you can't run excellent procurements to buy complex solutions. And and I've seen many of them done, but I've also seen, as we've discussed here, real issues. And it, it is an incredibly important topic because, to what we discussed earlier, you don't have all the talent you need. But I come back to the theme that is so important to, to what I – is to have good program and project management disciplines and to have what I call integrated program teams where you bring together all the needed resources within the government, including procurement, okay? The last thing you can really want is you don't want contracting officers out there in a vacuum by themselves. They need to be part of that integrated program team if they're going to do their job well in supporting the program. And, and I too often I've seen where you're not bringing, not just procurement, but other functions as well, you're not forming the right kind of integrated program team to be able to effectively deliver in government. And that, that is a real problem.
0: We're gonna take a short break. And when we return, we'll continue our conversation with Richard Spires, author of the new book, Government Can Deliver, A Practitioner's Guide to Improving Agency Effectiveness and Efficiency. I'm Dave Wintergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. I'm Dave Wintergren, and our guest today is Richard Spires, principal of Richard A. Spires Consulting, longtime executive in both government and industry, and we're discussing his new book. Government can deliver a practitioner's guide to improving agency effectiveness and efficiency. And when we went into the break, we were talking a little bit about the issues of contracting and procurement. And so, you know, I I was thinking as you were answering that question that the changing nature of technology, as well as the changing nature of our world, could require changes in buying practices. Mm -hmm. Want the same result? If you want different results, maybe not doing it the way you used to do it will get you those results. And do you have some thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. In fact, the real world example is I think agencies are still struggling with sometimes how to buy a cloud. Um, You know, you're not buying a server anymore. You're you're renting a service. And uh, it's just a very different model. And I talk about in the book, the 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 need to align. The the last thing you want to have happen, Dave, is a situation where you've got a contract where the contractor is not incentivized to actually their incentives are not aligned with actually program success. That is a really deadly situation, which almost never goes well. And so you, you that's part of this integrated program team, this idea that if you're working together as a team, let's make sure that we write our contracts. Let's make sure we procure uh, appropriately so that those incentives are well aligned. I mean, it doesn't guarantee success but you don't want contractors actually working across purposes with what you're trying to achieve. And I, and and I know that sounds like how, why would anybody do that? And yet I see that over and over and over again.
0: Yeah. And as a former chair of the board for the industry advisory council, I know that you're appreciative of the fact that, you know, industry has a lot to offer, but it has to be done in the right kind of relationship with government. And that speaks to the power of I'll say statements of objectives rather than rigid statements of work and, and valuing and encouraging innovation and, and valuing alternative proposals and making sure that you get your, you know, your team to bring the best ideas to you rather than overly specify what needs to get done. I, I think that maybe that helps segue us to another important part of the book, which talks about the importance of transformation. So what goes into transformation work? What makes it successful? and What helps make it stick?
1: Yeah, well, I mentioned earlier that there's these eight functions. I mentioned like, you know, the people function as an example and governance is another one. But at the end of the book, I, I have a whole chapter about how do you bring all this together? Because, uh, I mean, just to give you a sense of the, of the scope here we're dealing with, these eight functions, I break them down into what end up to be 68 different attributes that I, I talk about in the book that should be improved over time. Now, you know, you might be doing some of these attributes as an agency exceptionally well, so the things you don't have to work on, hopefully, uh, all of them, but, but I, I lay out a transformation model um based on what i've seen in agencies and it it it's striking to me how similar agencies are as far as some of these issues and and it all you know ultimately improving the people function of course and and how you hire people and develop people is an important part of that but another really important part is in improving your planning that strategic planning we talked about earlier And improving your decision-making, and that goes to the heart of working on your governance model. If you can improve your planning and your decision-making, everything gets better. I mean, it doesn't immediately get better in one year, but I have found you can transform an organization and government over a four-year period. Uh, You really can Um, And so I try to lay out kind of these steps, if you will, that you should get And obviously, every agency is unique and everybody's, you know, everything's different and it needs to be tailored to an agency. But but I've seen such weaknesses in planning uh, and then into the budgeting process, as we discussed, and and in the governance and making good decisions and getting the right people with the right data so that they can make this good decisions. Uh, It's so, so critical to agency performance. And let me leave you with one last thought on this whole thing on transformation. One of the problems you have in government is because of this turnover we talked about earlier at the executive ranks, right? You know, new administration comes in and, you know, when they come in, they got new ideas and essentially things get undone or they don't get get finished. And so this idea of what I call institutionalizing a change, if something is better, get it into policy, get it into the procedures that the agency uses. Get it into the water, so to speak, of how an agency operates so that when a new regime comes in, they just look at it and say, okay, well, this is the way the agency operates, right? And they'll start from there. Um, If you don't do that, then a lot of things tend to get undone that were actually good things. Um, And so that's another reason why I think agencies struggle to improve because they, they take two steps forward and then they take one, hopefully not two, steps backward. Um, and and so they're not making significant progress uh, over the years.
0: Crucial point and one that we have to be reminded of every election cycle that uh, yeah. new people will come in with new ideas and that's okay. And and what have you done to make sure that the ideas you're already working on are going to survive? And, and be understood and thrive going forward. I, I know for our audience, talking about the, the CXO suite, if you will, and the importance of the members of the CXO suite working together okay. is is a hot topic. And uh, and you, you've talked a little bit about governance, but maybe you could expand a little bit more. I know at one point in the book you talk about, for example, the importance of the technology leader being heavily involved in the budget process and at the mm-hmm. table with the CFO. But uh, But maybe like talk a little bit more about cross- Cross CFO, acquisition officers, human capital officers, technology leaders, and the governance models that you see that are helping to make progress in that front.
1: Yeah, it really goes to the heart of um, government has a lot of stakeholders and that, that's a good thing. I mean, it's a check and balance system, it should work. Um, but in order to really make those effective decisions I talked about, having the right people around the table working in a collaborative uh, manner with the right data and analysis, that's critical too. I mean, I'd like to see governance models set up uh, at a at an enterprise level to make you know those the top level decisions for an organization, of course. But then those portfolios we talked about, and then down even at the program level, and big, major programs, they need oversight, um, and and you want to have the right executives, the the key executives. That, that are key to that program. Obviously, the, the business or mission owner, that's going to benefit the beneficiary of the program. But others, if it's an IT program, you need to have the right representation from IT. You need to have the right representation from like the privacy office or the, you know, it, or, or the obviously procurement office. And in, in, in you're working in collaboration. And um, in, in, in so if you're informed as an organization and you're informed these executives working together, it drives alignment. I, I've seen it time and time again work, um, and if you have alignment amongst your leadership team over what we're doing, good things happen. I mean, really, things get done, and and uh, where I've seen failure is when you fail to get that alignment, and so that's why I keep coming back to this theme of governance being so so critical, and it and it just doesn't work by working just down the line uh, of the management line because. I need, if I'm a CIO, I need to collaborate not only with those mission and business owners, but with that CFO, with that CPO, right? I need to have those really solid relationships. Um, We don't always have to agree, but we have to be able to have those really good uh, discussions with the right data to help drive those good decisions.
0: We've got about a minute and a half left or so. I'd love to give you the last word and ask you for some parting advice, particularly perhaps, you know, this show will air during a continuing resolution to help government industry executives survive the the uncertainty of our world, potential government Mm -hmm. shutdowns, CRs, budget uncertainties, maybe some parting advice.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've lived through some of that myself, eight years of government service and, um, you know, a couple of, a couple of things here. Um, You know, I, if you're an executive in government, um, I think the idea of picking a few things and doing them well and getting them done and institutionalized, as I talked about, is so critical. Um, you know, I, I, when people come to me and say, hey, I'm interested in going in government, maybe in a bit more of a senior role, I tell them, yeah, be prepared to try to serve for four years. You know, it's 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 a meaningful amount of time. It allows you to understand the institution you're going to work in, the agency, make some real change, institutionalize that change, hopefully, uh, make a real difference. Um, and and the other thing I would leave you with is if you're coming from the outside, particularly in a political role, is, you know, I can't tell you, some of the best people I've ever worked with are career government people. I mean, I. If you can win the hearts and minds and and view them as your peers um, and and work with them, you can get a lot done. Um, But if you don't do it that way, people will wait you out. They'll fight you. You know, it's it's pretty basic, but it's very, very important um, to work with the career staff.
0: The stakes are high. The problems are complex. But as Richard said earlier in the show, magic can and does happen in government. Richard Spire's new book is Government Can Deliver, A Practitioner's Guide to Improving Agency, Effectiveness, and Efficiency. You can buy the book on Amazon, and I highly recommend it for anyone interested in helping government to excel. Richard, as always, thank you for your outstanding leadership, your friendship, and for taking the time to join us today act IAC's Imagination ELC Conference takes place on October 29th through the 31st in Hershey, Pennsylvania. You won't want to miss the opportunity to join fellow government and industry executives as we tackle the top topics in the federal technology market. This year's theme is The Business of Doing, and we'd love to see you there. To find a link to order Richard's new book, to register for ELC, or to learn more about ACT-IAC, Check out the Federal News Network website or go to our website, www.actiac.org. I'm Dave Winogren, and you've been listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ActiAC on Federal News Network.
1: Thanks for listening to Accelerating Government with act You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your podcast feed. Search for Accelerating Government on Podcast One, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts.